Hey everybody, welcome to the Access Denture Podcast. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Rachel. This is uh, our 16th episode, and we're going to be talking about two very interesting topics that were brought up uh, as announcements around Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, which is traditionally May 17th. Did you did you have a good Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Rachel? I did. I was working my bottom off and totally unaware of the awareness day. <laughs> I said before we started recording here that at Access Ninja, every day is Global Accessibility That's Awareness good... Day. Heck yeah. It's every day solving accessibility issues. So we picked out two announcements that were made ar- around this day both things that are happening in the future but announcements that happened on the on march 17th uh, to talk about today so which one may do you think 17. Should... oh may 17th thank you may 17th. <laughs> no we took our accessibility time machine yay hey actually i just realized something what's that it's, it's our it's our rebirth birthday because <laughs> we had eight episodes and then we took a Really long hiatus. (laughs) And this is our eighth episode since we restarted. Well, a happy rebirth anniversary. That sounds really (laughs) weird. (laughs) All right. Well, I just thought that was funny. All right. So back, back, back into our topics. (laughs) So, uh, well, which topic do you think we should start with today? We've got we've got announcements from both Apple and from Microsoft. Ooh, it's the big ones. Uh, I think we could start for our gamer friends. We should start with Microsoft. All right. So Microsoft made an announcement uh, that they are releasing a new accessible Xbox controller. And so Xbox is Microsoft's main uh, gaming system. It's a it's often referred to as a you know video game console. So it's a box that you can buy and plug into a television and uh, play games. It has uh, a controller that you use that uses uh, two thumb controlled joysticks, four central buttons, and then two trigger controls that are usually used with uh, uh, different fingers. And so it could be a bit of a challenge to use if you don't have full use of all of your fingers or if you've got any sort of physical disability that makes it so you can't hold that traditional controller and hit those buttons quickly. And so this has been a long-standing issue for gamers who want to, uh, who have accessibility needs. And for a long time, they were stuck using these sort of hacked-together controllers from third parties. And these third parties did a great job, but these controllers would typically be very expensive because they'd be very customized. They'd, someone would have to go in and literally rewire and solder and heavily modify the controllers. And they weren't really formally supported within the platform, uh, which adds a whole additional challenges as far as if you want to change what button does what for a certain game, et cetera. Uh, and that, but Microsoft decided to uh, embrace uh, these users by actually developing a highly modifiable controller. And that was what was beautiful. I mean, I think the point that uh, Apple is usually so accessible is because it's highly customizable. I mean, the customization is already built in on OS. And I think that this is, is brilliant because now it will not only help people that have mobility issues, but even, um, you know, sighted, Gamers, I mean, you know, mobile gamers that want to create little hacks on how to, you know, where to press or or a preferred button, etc. I think it'll be really cool. Another cool thing about this particular controller is it's it's designed for the Xbox, but it also works with a Windows computer. Uh, but it also does have a USB interface, and these types of controllers can be plugged into and used in other devices. I use an Xbox controller to play games on my Mac, actually. So it's a, a, it's a controller that will live beyond just 
this Xbox system. So you can also use it on computers. And I can also imagine people using it for non-gaming uses since they can use it on the computer uh, as a way of control, alternatively controlling the mouse or interacting with certain applications. Uh, we did a little bit of playing with that uh, when we worked together with various controllers. Remember I set up that PlayStation controller to do uh, yeah, I, voiceover? Yeah, I still have it. It was my pink uh, <clears throat> PlayStation controller. I still have it. And I use it a lot when I'm um, making repetitive stuff. And I just tried to, uh, you know, kind of program it to work with uh, GarageBand. I was having a little trouble. So I'll probably bug you later too fix it but um yeah that's uh, the first thing i thought about it when i was reading about this um release is uh how awesome would that be you know because we tried to customize some of the playstation buttons for certain things i wanted to get done and we couldn't so i think this becomes so much more powerful and i mean it's it there is no limit to what we could probably do with it in and making automation. Of course, you know, most blind people cannot play um, your regular games. There's still very little accessible games that blind people can really play. So I'm not a gamer. But to say the truth, even if there was a lot of games, I'm not sure I would be too much into it. But I think it would be awesome. I think it, it has a lot of potential. So this controller itself, the way that it, it looks, the design of it, is it's it's this long white rectangle. It's about the size, and it's hard to see from the pictures, but it looks like about the length of a full-size keyboard. But rather than having keys on it, um, it has two very large buttons, an A and a B button, uh, that are very, very easy to press. They're designed to work with both the hands or to be placed on the ground and to be used with the feet. It then has a very large D-pad, or which is also a directional pad, on the left-hand side, which is an up, down, left to right arrow, essentially. Uh, and then all across the back are inputs. Uh, these are inputs where you can plug in switches. So uh, the AbleNet Jelly Bean switches is a little round switch. It almost looks like... Um, if you've never seen these accessible switches, if you think of like a movie where they've got like a big like self-destruct, it's like a big round red button <laughs> to press. It's exactly like one of those. But what comes out the back of it is a cable. And at the end of that cable is a, a, a jack that looks a lot like a headphone jack. Uh, it's actually the same one that a mono uh, headphone would use, which just has two two connectors instead of three which is what a stereo connector usually has so basically it looks like a headphone jack and it plugs into the back and they've got ports for every single button on the back so you can put a switch that's a big red switch you can press or you can make it be larger or it could be a touch sensitive one or it could be a sip and puff switch where someone blows into a tube and that sets off the switch there are tons and tons and tons of different switches well, and I'm sure they could even put their um, homemade ones. I mean, I remember we were playing, making the ones with uh, aluminum foil, remember? Yeah, we used to make these because all these switches are is basically they allow uh, a current to pass through. Uh, and you can literally take two wires. So we took like a headphone jack, right? We cut the headphones off so that the, we had bare wires at the other side. And we put tinfoil on, on one versus the other. When you touch those two together... Uh, it it creates a you know a a full circuit and that sends a activation a switch that's the switch being pushed and then you can take that tin foil and you can put it on anything you can make a big magic wand that you touch uh, you can make uh, two pieces of paper you can plug you can tape it to so when you when you push them together like one of the almost like a I don't know how to describe it like a sock puppet the top and bottom of the mouth when you open and close it when those two hit it creates a connection and you've got a switch. So you can really make a switch out of anything. Yeah, and I remember we used to do that for when we had, you know, a client that had you know, a very specific need that none of those other switches could work. Now, you did explain that the jelly bean is like those movie ones. So if the person was born blind or didn't see a lot of movies like me until I lost my sight at six, we would have no clue what you're talking about. So I would say that the jelly bean to me is like an oversized elevator button, maybe like four times a regular elevator round button, but it, it's a little bit bigger. 
And it makes this great, satisfying click when you push it. So there's no doubt that you hit it. It makes a click. Yeah, click, click, click. Well, it's not that loud, but you know, it's kind of like when you're pushing those old keyboards that you would push the 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 key, and it was like. So yeah, all right. So they just wanted to bring that up. I know you're very aware of it most of the time, but I was like, hey, I never knew that those are how the buttons look in the movie. So thanks. Now I know what those self-destruct buttons look like. And have you ever been to a, an arcade or, or or played a pinball machine? You know, they've got those buttons on the side, or they're like big versions of those. I mean, literally, they are big buttons versions of those. So that is true. Yeah, that's very true. So in addition to that, they also have two USB ports, one on the left and one on the right side. And those two USB ports are designed for you to plug your own joysticks into. So there's a lot of joystick, uh, you know, those are be the, you know, big, usually a big knob that you can push forward, back, up, down, or, or, or a big stick you can push forward, back, up, down to represent moving directions if you've uh, ever uh, been a, played around with a joystick for like a, uh, the same thing that a lot of these fighter jets <laughs> use, you know. Um, but, uh, and, you know, joysticks have been around for a very long time. If you've ever played an Atari, for example. Yeah, I have. That was the games I could play. And then I remember at some point by Sega and Sony Sega and uh, Nintendo. Well, when Nintendo, whatever, 64 six, came out, that was like, forget it. Like, after Mario Bros., there was nothing I could play anymore. Now, this item, it's coming out. It's $100. Uh, it's coming out sometime later this year. They don't have an exact date yet. Uh, you can go on to the Microsoft webpage and, and get an email notification when it becomes available. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that it is made to support with a special mode called Copilot Mode. So Microsoft introduced uh, a feature called Copilot Mode. And what it originally was designed to do was allow you to use two controllers to control one character inside of a game. So traditionally, you have one controller, and everything would have to be inputted through that. And before this uh, accessibility controller came out, they introduced a new feature called Copilot Mode. Essentially, you can use two controllers to control one character in the game. So someone who didn't have full use of both their hands could maybe use one controller in one hand and put another controller on the floor and control that with their feet. But the Xbox controller wasn't designed to be used with feet. And so that's part of the reason why they came up with this accessibility controller, because uh, it can be used you know, for any, uh, any ability level, uh, which means you do still use it in that context. So you, so you, you still, as far as I know, and I, and I, I could be wrong, but what I read, uh, you still need to have a regular Xbox One controller and you need to have the accessibility controller because they connect to each other uh, it essentially expands the Xbox One controller's capabilities. And see, so, yeah, that I totally didn't understand. But again, I'm not a gamer, so I was kind of highly confused. So there's a little history behind this controller <clears throat> I want to mention because it I find it interesting. Is that uh, so? This controller, like its origins, its original beginnings, uh, was back in uh, 2015. Uh, Microsoft uh, was holding, uh, started in an, uh, an, uh, an initiative called Gaming for Everyone. And part of that, they held a hackathon. So these hackathons is, you know, they get 24, 48, maybe, maybe a couple days, uh, a group of teams get together and they try to come up with sort of concept projects. And they have to literally hack it together with wires and cables and quick software design. And uh, they, the, Microsoft team came up with a accessible controller in 2015 that maybe used the Kinect, which was their video, you know, their, their not video, but their, their motion controller. So it would be a bunch of cameras pointing at you and you move to control it. Uh, and then shortly after that, they modified it into a physical controller. And then they had another hackathon in 2016 where they took this original accessible controller and expanded it. And then based off of that 2016 design, that's when they started to actually take the project seriously as something that they wanted to send to consumers. And uh, they started uh, an accessibility team to finish off this product and make it work. 
And the reason why I wanted to tell that story, the reason why I want you to know that it was a result of two hackathons is that I hear a lot of these hackathons, these accessibility hackathons, where people get together, build some <laughs> sort of prototype. And usually uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of cool. It's cool. It's fun. It builds awareness. But usually it doesn't always go anywhere. Go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I've been part of several of them. And um, actually... What I developed one, it wasn't a hackathon. So before hackathons, there was the jam, which is made by the um, Adam St. Lawrence. He's a, guy, a professor of design in Germany and Spain, I believe. And um, and I remember we developed, you know, they started making jams mostly, uh, well, with everybody, but design schools were pretty heavy on it. And um, so when I was in design school, I was part of one. And we developed this app that uh, could take a picture, right? And then people could tell me what was in the picture. And the idea came because I I missed a whole business class because they showed up and they had moved the class outside, you know, because it was a beautiful day and they put a paper on the door. And I was there like an idiot waiting for my class for a long time. And I couldn't see the paper. And uh, so that concept, that idea actually got picked up by somebody else and they developed a similar app that kind of, uh, you know, didn't really work out because uh, they got the concept, but they weren't part of it. So they didn't know everything else that was developed to make the app successful in the background. They just got the design, but they didn't really get the you know, the, the business part of succeeding that app. And, but most of the time I see lots and lots and lots of ideas and concepts that come and then it's just a concept and they, they don't, they, they're not taken through, you know, market and how do you, how can you make that happen and will be successful or not. And, and, and it's great to create awareness, but I mean, after awareness, you, you need something else. I've been in, hundreds of hackathons with, uh, you know, a customable game for the line. And I still don't see much out there at all. Like, I mean, I can't play a lot of games at all. Like most of the games for blind people are games that the sighted doesn't really care about, right? Because it's heavily on audio and not so much in visual. And I can't wait for the day that, you know, Microsoft says, game for all and that actually the regular popular games will will you know will work for even blind people too. Yeah, they've been working on uh, including more accessibility features inside of the games too. So games that have elements that are designed specifically for accessibility. Uh, you've seen a little bit more of that with um, Nintendo's done a little bit. They did something with Mario. This is not for the blind specifically, but just an accessibility feature designed specifically inside the game where basically Mario would run automatically. Like you wouldn't mm -hmm. have to push forward and back and you could use one button, a switch to make him jump. And the levels were designed and the places were designed so that you would only have to hit the jump button. So you could have one single switch to activate it. And then a, a much bigger game that I was really into, uh, which is the Uncharted games. Uncharted games are these very Indiana Jones style games where you're this character who's uh, running and trying to get jumping and climbing through all these exotic locations in order to try to find artifacts. And there are bad guys there and it's got a big shooting element. You've got to like get into gunfights with the with these terrorists and bad guys, etc. And this game required a lot of a lot of coordination and so they had an accessibility menu where uh, you didn't have to where when you when you pulled the gun out and aimed it it would auto lock onto targets so you didn't have to really have to have that cut sort of really quick fine-tuning controls and they had some auto shooting and they, they had some different modes to change the way some of the features worked. So if you couldn't hit the three or four button combination at the same time, you needed to do something, they'd bring it down into one uh, in order to make the game more accessible. And then you could use a modified controller. And, you know, so there, there's a lot of work in, you need the work of both the hardware people like Microsoft and they try to make the tools, but you also need the game developers, like you mentioned, who are making these big box games to modify and make their control games accessible. Because a lot of like role-playing games, which are very text-heavy games, uh, that could be more accessible, but there's no way for a blind person to easily navigate or move through the world. If you found a way to solve that, 
then they could enjoy that game, the exact same game that uh, everyone else is enjoying. Right. And I think that, I mean, uh, I think you were gone by when I get this client, but it was a 14 year old and he was in a car accident and had lost his sight. And, you know, he was devastated because his whole social life was built around Minecraft with his friends. And and he couldn't fit in with his friends anymore. And, uh, you know, and his friends were still nice to him and all that. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, they spend a lot of time playing Minecraft and he could no longer be part of that group. He was just there, but he wasn't really being able to contribute or to, you know, play. And, and actually that got me thinking because, you know, Minecraft has a lot of, you know, block building from what I understand, right? Like getting it right. And I mean, you know, it would be even a, a matter of perhaps, um, you know, developing those blocks physically where it's connected to the game itself and, you know, and you could uh, touch and create and do things because you're a lot faster when you're touching it and trying to think how things go than when you're trying to get some audio to explain to you what's going on. And, and I think that that's part of what goes on with uh, blindness is that we're always trying to solve it through the audio version. And and not not everybody's an audio auditory learner. I am not. I'm fully visual and kinesthetic learner. So it's, it's very interesting that uh, we're not taking those things in consideration yet. And I want to give just a, a shout out. I'm going to put this in the show notes. Uh, I have a, a co-worker. Uh, he's low vision himself. And he uh, runs a YouTube channel where he talks about gaming uh, and accessibility. He reviews different tools and different game elements and talks about, you know, wh- how the how blind or low vision people can play those games. His uh, YouTube page is called Illegally Cited. And I will put a... <laughs> Link into the <laughs> show notes uh, if you want to check those I out. I love it. We should bring him on the show. I think that's brilliant. Illegally cited. I love it. The, the one thing to keep in mind is he reviews all types of games, so they might not be um, of the uh, uh, of the interest <laughs> of everybody. I'll just say, you know, so you know, parental guidance, I guess, is is what I'm saying there. And I know he's not. He's he's not. W- gonna swear or make a big but just he's reviewing games that have you know violence and language and other content inside of it so just keep that in mind all right great that's really cool well yeah so i think that this i think this controller has the potential to revolutionize not just the gaming but even our automation efforts yeah i think it's got a, a, a lot of great potential i'm also glad to see microsoft taking um this so seriously you know this is a a full-fledged product this is not some hack together thing that they're putting together this is not an experiment this is a full product uh they also have like the same boxing and and advertising and standard they have for their for their other other products i I was impressed with the price you know because i mean 9.99 um i think it's uh you know it's comparable to like for example what i play for my uh, PlayStation joystick. I think it was like eighty something, and you know it's it's not extremely expensive for when joysticks are concerned, and and, and I think it's affordable. And I, and I remember that you know all those customized stuff from assistive technology companies were extremely expensive. So yeah, I think it's 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 really nice, and I'm I'm impressed. I'm I'm getting impressed with Microsoft. Jonathan, no, um, I used to be a big like, eh, Microsoft, that's junk, and um, <laughs> and because I, I I used a Windows for years, and every third part a software that worked for me when Windows updated, it went bunks, and it was I had to be super careful, and I cannot tell you how many times I've gone without a computer two three days at work because something went bunks and they didn't, you know, like update it together. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand. So when I switched to Apple was, be, that was the, the biggest, awesomest thing. Cause I mean, sure, Apple updates and, and then there's a little bug, but there's nothing 
terrible that I cannot use the computer. It's not like it's not going to shut me off of work like two or three days because it's already built in in the OS. And I'm becoming more and more impressed with um, Microsoft, not just because of this effort, but even the seeing AI, this uh, seeing uh, artificial intelligence app that they created for reading things. Uh, they've been improving and improving. I think they're really taking it seriously. And I will say that's one of the apps that I use the most right now. And uh, and I remember I hesitated to get it because I was like, ah, it's Microsoft. And, and now I'm like, wow, they really rock it. So I think it's, it's, it, it's incredible and amazing to be able to see uh, the big companies really taking responsibility for accessibility. Yeah, we've had some mixed results with their their operating system and there's been issues especially once they upgraded to windows 10 you know the fact that microsoft edge when it first launched didn't work with jaws didn't work with nvda it made us really worried about you know where they were where they were going as a company as far as accessibility has gone and then in the last couple of years you know they've opened up a, a new lab called the inclusive tech lab which is part of where this product came from they've got seeing ai has come out microsoft edge is updated now to support uh, the screen readers better. I think there's a lot of work to be done there, but they're they're doing the work and they're even working to make Narrator, which was previously not much of a usable product in my opinion, <laughs> uh, to be yeah. a, a to be a, a competent, competent, although not a replacement to many of the other screen readers. But that that is their step to making it so that when you buy one of their computers out of the box, a blind person can use it. So they're they're making a lot of progress. There's definitely a a shift. Uh, inside the company, I know that their their CEO uh, has had some has had uh, some personal experiences with disability. Uh, I know his son has some disabilities. I'm not going to go into that in detail. You can read up about it on on their webpage uh, on if if you just do a, a search. Uh, but uh, it's definitely been a, a a shift as far as accessibility goes. I've seen a shift in a lot of companies recently, but Microsoft's been very good, and I think they deserve some credit. No, I, I totally agree because I remember, what was it? I don't know. It was at some point when I started being an accessibility consultant back when I was an undergrad. And and I remember thinking, you know, this is the biggest problem is the updating, right? So I was like, why doesn't Microsoft go and buy JAWS, Freedom Scientific, and, you know, just make sure that's updated as, you know, things happen. I mean, Microsoft has a history of buying other companies, you know, and, and, and sucking them in into their huge conglomerate of companies. So um, I never understood. I remember pitching it to an executive. Um, I don't remember how I got there, but I remember pitching and they're like, uh, no, like, you know, I'm not really interested. And, and the truth is, I, I think that someday, you know, if there was some kind of deal between Freedom and Microsoft, where, you know, there was a communication, at least so the updates happen at the same time. I think it could be super powerful and never uh, leaving people behind in the in the way that it does right now, or it used to do anyways. I think the tricky thing is, as far as the future goes and uh, Microsoft's relationship with JAWS and so forth, uh, I, I think they've lost their opportunity to acquire JAWS because yes. now that VFO... Uh, VFO is a, a big venture capital c company that's gone and purchased Freedom Scientific, yeah, correct? And Opaletic yes. and Zoom Text, yeah. and uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, so now they lost it, but it was there for years, you know. And I and I think it would be, uh, but you know, but I do think that still uh, communication and partnership can always happen, right? Um, if if one company knows when the other one is updating or know or are able to test it out and, and be pushed. I think there is always a way when there is a will. So. Yeah. And I'm very interested to see where this, uh, where VFO goes in, in the future. I was a little bit worried because they were going around buying up a lot of the windows accessibility software, you know, with yeah. freedom scientific, that means they own jaws, magic, zoom text, window eyes, Opelect, uh, et cetera. But uh, I've met a couple of their reps and, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, cautiously optimistic because they, 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 the people that I've met, at least within the company, uh, mm -hmm. who have come to talk with us have been very committed 
and really into creating quality products because Optelic makes these handheld magnifiers. They used to make them all from China. And, um, and, and the, and the guy I was talking to was very candid. He says, you know, when you, when you're mass producing from China, there can be some quality concerns, especially because they get, you know, one batch will be really good. One batch won't be really good. Won't be as well. And they've been moving towards German manufacturers. And I got a hold of some of just their handheld magnifiers and the build quality was such an improvement. And the price point is exactly the same. So I don't know what their plan is as a big company, but I do know some people in the company are very serious and trying to create great products. So I was very, very nervous at first. So we'll keep an eye out. Um, because, you know, it's a venture capitalist going around. Uh, I sometimes worry about motivations, but uh, at least the people I've met very, have been very good people. So I, I've been pleasantly surprised. Well, and German manufacturing is very good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just the weight of them and the curves and the plastic and like all the, you know, these are things that we deal with a lot at, in my work where the handheld magnifiers and those little things like people are kind of used to getting cheap magnifiers, kind of these cheap, you know, dime store things that are mass produced and to have a, have a company that was making those change your manufacturing because they didn't think it was good enough and, and the build quality improvements, you know, I'm rambling now about I'm way off topic, but <laughs> it's just but good. It's just I sometimes that, I have that effect on people. <laughs> it's just people deserve you know, well-designed, well-thought products made by people who love to make them. And I thought a big company like this going and buying them, they were going to do the opposite. And I was proven wrong. That is great. No, this is great to hear. I haven't, uh, you know, I'm kind of out of that field for now. So I I haven't seen the new ones. And uh, I mean, I remember having a recorder, which I will bring up the, the name of the company, but... I, I mean, it was the same price as a iPod Touch at that time. And I remember it did a lot less, but it wasn't just that. It was the plastic, you know, the encasing was was like really low quality. And and I remember my uh, it, my battery wasn't holding anymore and, and I had to send it in and not have my recorder for six weeks. It was like insane. And I remember that I... I just went on and I bought me an iPod Touch and I used that as my recorder and I just gave it up. Well, all right. We've been going on for a while here about uh, Microsoft and then going off about build quality. Let's uh, let's turn us let's turn back on topic here and uh, talk about Apple's global accessibility awareness announcement. All right. Earlier this year, during the school year, Apple ran a program. Uh, they sent a bunch of their people out to go to the, I believe it was the in Austin, Texas, uh, the Texas School of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And they held a training session for various students there, I think middle school and high school, uh, where they wanted to teach them about coding. And specifically, they, they had the blind students code using Swift, Apple's newer uh, programming language, uh, using iPads, using a program called the Swift Playgrounds, which is fully accessible with VoiceOver, the screen reader. And they programmed and flew uh, these little drone quadrocopters. So these, yeah, a little, yeah, I think, um, I think they were parrots. Yeah, parrot drones. Yeah, they were so little parrots. These are these little these little they're kind of like little helicopters except for they have four blades that spin and and they can go up down left right and move through space and what the kids are able to do is basically have them uh you know control their flight you know kind of program a flight plan and then let them take off and fly them around now based off of that they uh have decided to expand that program and they have an initiative called everyone can code and they are developed their own coding curriculum uh, for middle school and high school students. It's basically a digital book you can download, and then it walks you through the basics of how to code, the concepts, uh, try some lessons, some pre-made code that you have to modify yourself, and then coding entirely yourself. And they have partnered with, um, oh, let me count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight different schools that specialize in disability, most of them for the blind and for the deaf. 
uh, to uh, take this programming course and put it inside of their school. So a full programming class from beginning to end. And all the curriculum is free. God listen. Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We've been talking about how um, uh, it's super important for blind people to be able to code. Uh, I went through a whole design program where I didn't learn to code. And I think if any regret I ever had in my life, which I don't have much, one is not have learned how to code well. I, I, I can read it and I can talk to developers, but... I don't know how to code to save my life. And I think that that is the biggest mistake I've ever made. Coding as a a learning platform is, is really important too, for so many reasons. Uh, beyond just the knowing how to tell a computer to follow a set of instructions, it's also a good problem-solving technique. It teaches you to take a large, complex problem, break it down into its parts and then solve it piece by piece. So you might take a, a bigger project problem that you cannot even conceptually understand the solution to. Uh, find each individual working part of it and then break it down and solve each thing. And, and by the time you reach the end, by solving the little problems, you eventually solve the big problem. And it's a really great problem solving skill that is well beyond just working with computers. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I fully agree with that. Um design is very similar. So I, I did learn a lot of problem solving, but what really excites me about kids, especially blind kids learning how to code is, is the empowerment. It gets the power back to you. So instead of you having to wait for somebody to create some app that will talk to something else or to adjust or, or to create an automation thing or, whatever it is that you need so you can have accessibility, right? So you can have at least the minimum um, access to using a, a platform or whatever it is, right? That coding gives you that hope, that empowerment that you can actually sit, work your bottom off because we always do. If you're blind, you have to work your bottom off if you wanna go through school or, you, or if you wanna do anything in life. And, and it makes that hard work pay off because in the end of that hard work, you know that there is something that you have control over and that you got a result from it. And for years, I felt that it was the opposite. You know, it's just like, it's not for the blind, by the blind. It's usually, you know, it, it it's, it's from somebody to the blind and the blind has to be there waiting and waiting and and waiting for somebody to fix it and waiting for somebody to uh you know switch some tactile thing on top of your iPad uh, and it, it, it there's a lot of waiting around and, and what I love about this is it is seriously is the empowerment you're putting this the the ability to create a solution in the hands of the people that need it there's this term that I've heard people use that I like to use, and I think I'll probably set it around you too, Rachel, called eating your own dog food. Are you familiar <laughs> no, with this? You, no, you never use that around me. <laughs> okay. So the concept of eating your own dog food is let's say you are a dog food manufacturer, right? You you make You make special meals for dogs. If you never eat the dog food yourself how do you know if it's any good yes so obviously this is people are not dogs and people are not making dog food for people but the idea is if you have a, a team that's building a project and nobody on that team is a user of that product how do you really know it's any good how do you have that personal touch how do you know that it's it's going to have all the features. You can do testing and so forth, but there's something lost when nobody on the team is a user of the product. And so we need more blind developers because there's a lot of screen readers out there. There's a lot of accessibility projects out there, even like Microsoft has. And we need to have skilled software developers, skilled engineers who are blind, who can be parts of these teams, who have disabilities, who can be parts of these teams. And so coding initiatives like this is the gateway, you know, to get those kids on track where they hit them in middle school and high school 
teach them about coding, get them interested, give them a platform that's accessible to them that they can work on. And that's how we get this next generation so that the next people building the next great screen reader or the people who are helping to design these accessible controllers are the users. And we have that talent base in place. Yeah, and, and you know, I am going to go on a total tangent here. But it just happened to me not too long ago. I was in a uh, on an event, and I mentioned the lack of accessibility for a product that they had, and um, uh, you know, and 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 the, the one of the executives told me, "Hey, well, we'll have somebody from our team to come talk to you, etc." And actually, somebody from the team came and said, "Hey, two weeks ago we rolled out a accessible." Uh, site, you know, it, it was an online, on, online product. And then I said, okay, I said, that that's great. I said, but I, I want to be a resource to you guys. I want to be part of this. And I said, it's not, I'm not just looking for accessibility. I said, I'm a designer, you know, and I happen to understand accessibility. So, um, you know, I, I can go test it and all that, but it just made me feel something I felt for many years, but I could never really put my finger into it. And I think that what it is, is that, you know, most people say, oh, okay, yeah, you're blind, you use a screen reader. Okay, go ahead and test it, right? But they already made it. They didn't include anybody in the beginning. And when I became a designer it was because I wanted to be included in the design or redesign of things from the beginning, because that's when you can actually really make it a difference, right? When you test after it's done, the money's all spent and, and, and the whole thing is already built and it's very difficult to retroactively go back and, and make solutions. And, um, and unfortunately it's like that, you know, it's somebody goes and makes you a drink and then they shove it down your throat, but they didn't even try it. If there's enough, you know, sugar or no sugar, or maybe they put salt instead of sugar in it, and it's like, here, have it. It's the you know? chef that doesn't taste their own food. Exactly. Well, that which is probably that better than eating your own dog food. That's a much more pleasant version of that. <laughs> but but do you see what I'm talking about? It's it it is. It's like the chef that doesn't taste his own food, and then you shove it in somebody, and and we need users. But we also need uh, professional users, meaning I'm a designer, so I'm not just a regular user. I understand about most blind users out there the, due to the research I've done, right? And, and developers is the same thing. If you get a blind person to just test your product and they have no clue about development, coding, they cannot be part of that So you know, problem solution uh, you know, results because they don't have a knowledge to really help you out troubleshoot. And I think that this to me is what's genius, right? People always think I'm just another blind person that, oh, that I use a screen reader. No, I can tell them usually a lot of where the problems are. Uh, I can give, you know, possible solutions or how to go about it. And I conduct a lot better user research uh, with blind people because of my knowledge in it. And, and I think that's, that's, that's what's brilliant to me here. I, I think it's, and another issue that I witnessed a lot throughout the years uh, with some blind clients was the fact that organization, like organizational skills is very, very low. Right, because you have such a you have such problem with with accessing so many things that I I've had clients that are sophomore in college and they don't know how to organize that incredible crazy amount of information they receive every day in college. Um, you know they don't know how to uh, create citations in a in a organized way because most of the tools that are out there for that are not accessible. So having your own power to code 
I mean, you can create your own little systems. And, and even if it's not something that everybody else uses, you are able to learn how to organize your mind from an early age, which is what should happen. Yeah, yeah. you don't need to have an advanced programming background, just a little bit to create macros, to create your own automations. Uh, VoiceOver, for example, works with AppleScript, a scripting language where you can create your own modifications to VoiceOver if you want. Uh, JAWS has its own scripting capabilities. So when you run into, and and Rachel, you know this the best, you run into (laughs) situations where uh, the tools that are provided, the digital tools you provided for you are inadequate. And you need to work around a problem. You need to modify the way you're interacting with something because the tool just is not working for you. And having some basic coding knowledge, knowing how to script, even if you're not you know, going out and making apps and developing, can help you, uh, especially like in a workplace or just an efficiency situation, go in and create your own modifications and you know, kind of take control of, of the computer and work around these obstacles you're constantly running into in a digital world that's not entirely designed for you. Yeah. Well, I've told you this before, but I'll tell it to the world. <laughs> My life changed when I met you, right? Because, I mean, I, I've always worked with developers and all that, but you were just had not just the development side, but then just this, you know, the, this automation kind of, passion that you do it just even for yourself and you really transform my life in a in a workplace like I was like oh why didn't I know this before uh, so uh yeah I, I think it's I think this 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 will make the new generation so much happier like one of the things that we did it was a small thing but it's an example of someone getting the skills from this class could absolutely do on their own is they could, um, for you, it was one thing is you were in charge of taking in and sorting emails that were coming in from a particular account. And the process of taking an email at that time in Apple Mail uh, and moving it to the designated folder was something that was just time-consuming. It wasn't overly difficult. It wasn't something you couldn't do, but it was just a lot of steps, and it slowed you yeah. down. And we created a macro for sorting out the emails, for making it, it a made bit me faster. Bored. <laughs> and, and that just that just gave you a, a way of doing it faster right it was a small thing it didn't take a ton of time to work into uh, but it's it shaved off time and that gave you a competitive advantage and that's where you're competing in the workplace and you're already having to overcome the low expectations that an employer might have for the blind uh, and being able to shave off some time and do things faster and more efficiently and show that capability can give you a competitive advantage yeah, well, and remember, I still remember, um, I was in charge of our Twitter account, remember? Yep. And and uh, a lot of people on our, <laughs> on our um, work used Pinterest, which I was highly allergic to, still am. <laughs> and uh, I remember, um, you know, I used to have to go to Pinterest and get all the original links so I can shorten them and then take them into our Twitter account to schedule it. And man, I remember that was a nightmare. And then Pinterest all like overnight took the access to the original links. And uh, and I remember you had to help me create like a little program thing that we could actually track it down. And then I threw it in my email. And then from there, I had to actually go and put it on our uh, Twitter manager. I remember that was, (laughs) that was so traumatic. I hate managing social media now. (laughs) Oh yeah. I do remember that. That was a heck of a workaround too. We had to set it up. So yeah, like, so so we created a macro that created an email that the original link that went to your (laughs) inbox. You could automate, and then it filtered it into like a folder. Yeah, these little things yeah. like that. These these are great skills, and these are you know I we pick those up not from like a an uh, advanced coding. These are macros, but they're the same skills, the same things that they're teaching these students that Apple's going to be teaching these students how to do. 
Uh, and you need these sort of workarounds and then you need to be able to modify them. You need to understand how they work so that when a website changes the way it functions or, or changes or cuts you off, you have a way of getting around it. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me of something really dumb that happened to me this week. And it's like this uh, person I, I met, um, she sent me several pictures on my message. But she never told me um, <laughs> what they were. And and this person is studying uh, special education. Uh, so if it was a you know regular person, I would have never judged at all. But uh, <laughs> you know, she should know a little bit better on this. And and when you take a picture on your iPhone, it you know it it assigns your typical thing for the camera, like as some number. Like IMG number 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 you know dot JPEG, and so if you send that to somebody, that's exactly what it will read to me, and I have no clue what that picture is. So, you know, write something in the bottom. I have a friend that you know, uh, she sends me you know baby pictures and stuff of her baby, and and she always tells me what's going on, and it and I love that because I have. Also, people on the other side that never sends pictures at all, right? Because they're like, oh, she's not going to be able to see. But, hey, you still want to have braggadocious pictures or I have blog. So it's important to have pictures. But my point is, um, you know, just at that level of, 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 of awareness, if we could create, uh, you know, an app that I could switch, like, for example, then rename my pictures on my camera, right? Then when I send to people, like it would actually have a description on it. I mean, there's so many things that can be done. But until then, please, if you send a picture to a blind person, by all means, send a tech a message below it and say what the heck it is, because <laughs> that is so dumb. Well, I think we should. Uh, I think we should wrap it up here. If uh, you're interested in learning more about uh, this, everyone can code initiative. I'm going to put some notes in the in the uh, uh, in the show notes, uh, and you can find out more about where you can actually uh, access this everyone can code curriculum. I believe they're going to be up. This is going to be in the fall that they're going to be uh, launching this in the school. So when the new school year opens up, uh, I'll link you to the current everyone can code. And uh, it does have portions of it are fully accessible, but I think they're making a special version because there's some images and graphs they need to have better descriptions of. That's what's going to come out in the fall. But I'll link everything on the show notes if you want to learn more. It is a middle school, a high school level course, and you can download and you can do it yourself. And I went through the whole thing and it is very well written. I think that even if you've got no background with coding, and you feel a little intimidated by it, I think you'll find it very, very easy to get into. Yay. Okay. Love it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Access Ninja. Uh, this is this has been Jonathan Campbell. And Rachel Magario. You all uh, be good to each other, all right? I'll try. Oh, and of course, if you have uh, any other uh, questions or suggestions, please send us an email at feedback at access.ninja. That's feedback at access.ninja. Or check out show notes and other information at access.ninja on the web.